what upset a lot of us is that the call to come in and vote for a male president and keep Corrine out of it was, yeah, you, you have to come and vote so we can get these viejas out of here. And that really upset a lot of us. It upset me yeah. greatly. And um, we had the, the meeting where everybody was going to, to vote, and we saw all these men that had not been active. Some of them paid their fees right then and there on that, on that date. And uh, I think that is, I told Corrine, I, I think we don't have the votes. And uh, that's what happened. Then a little bunch of us got together and we said, okay, it's time to start the Latina Bar Association. Hey, hi, everyone. This is Sandra Munoz, and we're back with another episode of Law and Order Me Some Tacos. I wanted to get on before we really got started to tell you about today's guest. And I know I say this all the time, and I know it's getting old, but today's guest is really, really special. She is Connie Pardo, and she has led a truly extraordinary life. Connie also happens to own the building where my law offices are located. And if you're familiar with the area, you've probably driven by the Frank Munoz Law Building many times on Beverly Boulevard in East Los Angeles. I mean, I can't tell you enough about Connie's contributions to the world, really. And you'll get a taste for that as you listen to the episode. Connie was born in 1930, which also happens to be the same year that my mother was born. And she has seen a lot. She has participated in a lot. And she has contributed quite a bit. And I, did I already say this? I'm super grateful for the opportunity to have been able to sit down with her and talk to her about her life. I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you learn a lot from the episode. And I hope that we can all appreciate Connie. So here we go, Connie Pardo. Hi, Connie. Hi, Sandra. I have known you, Connie, for such a long time, and I've always admired your, well, everything about you, really. You're just such a wonderful person. But let's just get started. Connie, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Boyle Heights. In Boyle Heights, really? Really. And where did you go to school in Boyle Heights? I went to Utah Street School in Boyle Heights, and then uh, and then I went to a boarding school. Really? Mm-hmm. And where? In Hollywood. The name of the boarding school is Francis DePaul Boarding School. Oh, wow. And so you mm-hmm. lived you lived at the boarding school? I lived at the boarding school. The boarding school was run by missionary ladies. Mm. And they were, they lived with us, they ate with us, and they struggled with us. <laughs> I loved them all. Where, where were your parents from? My parents were, were from Durango. The Durango, the Durango? But they met here. Oh, they met in the United yeah. States? They met in Dunsmuir, California. Where is that? That's up north. It's close to the Oregon border. Oh, wow. What were they doing? My father was working in the railroad, and my mother had gone there to visit her friend. She had, her husband had left her, and um, she had some money that her husband left with her. So her friend, she had been involved in a a strike, Mm -hmm. and she didn't have a good experience, and she was a, a little depressed. So her friend told her, come and visit me and have a vacation with us with me and my husband. So my mother went to Dunsmuir and uh, to just for a vacation, and she never left. 
Her friend told her that the the um, railroad workers were Mexicanos, mm-hmm. but they were not allowed to go into the restaurants because Mexicans were not allowed in the restaurants. So the Mexicanos had to cook for themselves a little bit here and there. Yeah. So my mother thought, hmm, I should open a restaurant. And she did. No way. She opened her restaurant, and her restaurant had, the menu was, was on a little blackboard. And she would write what she was serving. She served one dish a day. Oh, my Only one. Gosh. Everybody had to eat the same dish. I kind of like that. I, I, she <laughs> was wonderful. And this was, of course, before I was born, before she met my dad. That's where she met him. And they, they ha- both happened to be from Durango? or, or They you? both happened to be oh. from Durango. Oh, well, yeah. That's so interesting, right? Like it was meant to be. I know. Because Durango's not like a place that you hear a lot about. No, Wait. pero Pancho Villa era de Durango. My father used to tell me. Well, there you go. I should stop bad mouthing Durango. <laughs> oh, that is so interesting. And and so did your 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 father was a customer of your mother's. He was. He was a customer, and uh, they met. They got together, and uh, I was born. And were you born there? I was born in Dunsmuir. My mother used to call it Dunsmuir. So I called it Dunsmuir for the longest time. And how long did you live there? Years. Oh, uh, well, wow. my mother lived there because uh, they had a little girl before I was born and the little girl died. Mm. But they lived there a long time. Mm. And I was three years old when we moved out. This was uh, during the Depression. Oh, wow. And my father, a lot of, a lot of Mexicanos got laid off. Yeah. So my father brought the family to LA. To Los Angeles, to Boyle Los Heights? Angeles. Yes, to Boyle Heights. And then you went off to boarding school. And, and this was for high, the equivalent of high school? I was nine years old, nine oh or ten years gosh. old. Oh my gosh. And how long did you stay in boarding Until school? Until I was 15. Wow. Yeah. When I was at boarding school, my dad would give me books. Now, one year, he gave me a big, fat dictionary. Okay, that's nice. And another year, he gave me a book called Famous Women of the World. Mm. And I fell in love with Catherine the Great, Elizabeth I, Babe Zacharias, and Amelia Earhart. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I really fell in love with them. And I read stuff on them afterward. Another year... He gave me great men of Mexico. <laughs> he wasn't going to let me not know about Mexico. <laughs> he loved Pancho Villa. Yeah. And my mother loved Zapata. Zapata, so yes. I have a picture of Zapata way over there. Do you? My mother liked them so much. Yeah. I like Pancho Villa too, but I really like Zapata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I can, yeah, it makes sense that you would really love Zapata. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do? I went to, to high school. First I went to Belmont, and then I went to Lincoln. And then I dropped out in the 11th grade. And then I got married. And then I got a divorce. I was planning a divorce. And then I got a divorce. And then yeah. I met Frank. You met Frank Muñoz. Yep. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we're obviously not related. I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't say obviously, but yeah. we're not related. But the building where I work is named the Frank Muñoz Law Building. Yes. Right? I wanted to ask you about him because I know on the surface, I know he was a very renowned civil rights attorney. Obviously, I work in the building named after him, and I know him through you. But can you tell me about Frank Muñoz? Yes. Frank... Frank was born in Indio, California, Mm. and he came to L.A. when he was about three years old. His father had died, and uh, the mother was left with four children. The youngest one was a babe in arms, Mm. and this was 
during the depression. Yeah. There's an incident that I learned about from from his attorney. And during the depression, there is such a thing as uh, supply and demand mm-hmm. because there's too many things out there not enough people to buy them. Right. So what the government would do is the Alley River didn't have much water in it. Mm -hmm. So the government would come around once in a while and they would throw all the vegetables all across the banks of the Alley River Mm -hmm. and throw motor oil or something on top of the vegetables so that people wouldn't get them. Oh my God. So Frank's brothers, they were you know, they didn't have a father and the mother really didn't have. She made tortillas for a living mm-hmm. at a restaurant. And the brothers, each one of them would take sacks and they, they wait until the men would leave and they would dig into the bottom of, of mm-hmm. the vegetables before the oil could reach them. Yeah. And they would fill out their sacks. They're not the only ones. Other little boys were there right. doing the same thing. Right. And um, that's the way they lived. Wow. But that was the thing that that the little kids, yeah. especially the Mexican kids, went through to survive. And how did you and Frank meet? I moved into Aliso Village yeah. with my one-year-old daughter. And uh, his sister-in-law was my neighbor. Oh, really? And Katie introduced us. And was he already an attorney when you met him? No, no. no. He was at... I think he was graduating from high school. Oh, really young? No, he wasn't young. He was uh, he had already been in the navy. Oh my god. But he had he had dropped out of school to help support to help the family. Yeah. And he wanted his younger brother to finish high school. Mm-hmm. At least the youngest brother could finish high school. And um, he went into the navy because it offered the GA bill. Oh yeah. And he wanted yeah. to go to college. So he came out of, out of the Navy and decided to go to night school to get his diploma. The high school to diploma? To get his high school diploma. Mm-hmm. And then maybe he was already at East L.A. College. Maybe he was already yeah. in East L.A. College. Yeah. So he went to East L.A. College? He did. And then he, where did he get his... Did he went somewhere after that? He went to his college and then he went to USC. Oh, really? Pre-law and law. He went to USC Law School? He went to USC Law School. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, so can I ask you, Connie, if you remember, like, when was it that he was at USC Law School? Okay, in the 50s. Yeah, wow. It that, was in the 50s before before affirmative action. Wow, that is, I mean, that is amazing, right? That was amazing. And you know what happened? He went to, he was at East LA College, so he went to the Dean of Admissions to get his uh, records transferred to mm. USC. And the Dean of Admissions told me, you're going to go to USC? And Frank said, yes, I've been accepted. And he tried to talk him out of going mm. to USC. He said that he's a Mexican and that he's going to come across very highly educated people and he won't be able to compete. These people grow up with books and yeah. what have you. And he shouldn't go. He should maybe go into social work. And Frank says, no, I want to go to law school. To USC, USC and yeah. I want to go to law school. I want to become a lawyer. And he still tried to talk about a veteran. Frank said, no. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need my records. So the man went to get the records. And he was reading them as he was walking towards Frank. Frank was at, at the little bar that they had. He said, right in front of his, and, and Susmeras Barbas, <laughs> dijo, well, looks can sure fool you. Oh, man. Because Frank had good grace at Easton uh. Lane. 
That's so, so terrible. So Frank just, you know, God yeah. is, is great. But he went through through his periods of, of racism yeah. that, that we all we all went through. So he went to USC and he was successful. I went to law school in the nineties, which I'm sure for a lot of people sounds like a really long time ago. I think about like what us like how much of an outsider I felt mm-hmm. at Loyola and how much comfort I found in, in finding a group of people who were like me and who come from similar backgrounds. And I, I you know, it's how I survived law school. Mm-hmm. It's even still practicing yes, law. I can see. Yeah, practicing law is, is it's not it's not a very Latina or Latino profession. No, it isn't. Even here in LA. So I, I wonder though, Connie, how was that for, for your husband? It wasn't easy. Yeah. It wasn't easy. And even in law school he always felt like an outsider. Right. And I think there was two Latinos, two mm. Chicanos in, in the whole class. And I remember one woman, Yvonne, I forget her last name, she became a politician. She was a real good attorney as she was in his class. Mm. And um, there was there was a fraternity. Yeah. They didn't allow Jews or Mexicans. Yikes. So the Jews and Mexicans got together and started their own fraternity. <laughs> right on. I don't remember the name <laughs> of the fraternity. But th- that's what he yeah. encountered yeah. In, in school. And was Frank Munoz integral in, in starting the Mexican-American Bar Association? Did he play a role in that? Yeah, he, he was one of the founders. Right, yeah. They started out as the... Um, as a club. And the reason they started out as a club is it was a reaction and a response to a reporter in the LA Times that had this article talking about the Mexican attorneys who were who were corrupt and yeah. and cheaters and what have you. And he said some very negative things about Mexican American attorneys. Mm-hmm. So they decided to to establish this club. Yeah. So little by little, then they decided to make it a bar mm. bar association. Yeah. And what were you doing at this time, Connie? I was uh, having children and being very active in my community. How so? I started being active when I met Frank. He introduced me to Francisca Flores, and he invited me to a demonstration that they were having mm-hmm. against police brutality. Oh, wow. That was so... It was so many years ago. We're still fighting police brutality. I know. And we were pretty successful. Our group was successful in that we had meetings with the police department. Uh, we got a young Latino, young Chicano male to open an office so that people could go to that office and, and hand in or, or bring in their complaints of whatever yeah. police brutality they encountered. And we thought, you know, things would would get better. They didn't get better. Yeah. We just gave somebody a job, and he did a real good, real good work on, on his job. But it continued. And then from there, I went into, into labor stuff. I was involved in labor unions. I was involved in educational issues. And what kind of law was Frank practicing? He was practicing everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Did he have his own office? Is that what? No, he went to work for Margolis and McTurney. Oh, my gosh, Connie. I know, you know, I have a, I don't know them, Ben Margolis and John mm-hmm. McTurney, mm-hmm. you know, were of counsel at Lit and Stormer when I worked yeah. there. So I did actually meet Ben Margolis and mm-hmm. John McTurney. Mm-hmm. And th- I mean, these were, I mean, how would you describe them? These were heavy si- attorneys. Yeah. Like yeah. civil rights 
icons, right? Like they, I don't know, because I don't want to get it wrong, but I I believe they were representing people like during the... McCarthy era. The McCarthy era, right? John McTernan was Frank's attorney. When uh, he passed the bar, they didn't let him, they didn't give him his license because he was under investigation by the bar. So we had to hire an attorney, of course. John McTurney was his attorney. And we had to go to court. There was three judges, and one of them was from the House on American Activities. Oh, my gosh. And we went in there, and I was pregnant. I was ready to have my my third child. And we went in there, and McTurney told them Frank's history and why he became an activist. Yeah. And this is when he told them about that business of the brothers getting the food from before the oil reached the vegetables. And I was there sitting, listening to all of that. That was before I was was interviewed, too. And um, uh, the court reporter, I saw her. She was crying. Mm. Tears rolling down her, her cheeks. And I kept thinking, oh, my God, they're not going to let Frank practice law just because of me because of my activities it was because of your activities no that's what i thought uh, it was because of my, he had his own activities <laughs> you, you both had your activities yeah, we both had our activities. but it, it was like his political activities that the bar was investigating yes yeah that's, and they wouldn't they wouldn't issue him a license to practice they, law after they they finished their interviews with the with those three judges they had to wait three, four months before they got a decision. Oh, man. So we said, okay, now we, we're going to leave. And we were leaving. And then the judge said, wait a minute. Don't leave. Just wait outside in the lobby. And we said, okay. And John McTurney said, that's good news. This has never happened before. So he was very happy. And then I was standing next to him thinking, oh, my goodness. It's going to be my fault. When John asked, what does your baby do? Then I answered him by crying. (laughs) I started crying and crying. He says, what happened? Frank came up to me. What's wrong? What's wrong? I said, nothing. I didn't want to tell him that I felt guilty. Yeah. So then they called us back and they said that, how did they put it? I forget how they put it, but they said that more people should be like Frank. Mm. Right. And the reason I was so worried is because when Frank was studying for the bar, mm-hmm. Mike Larry would call me and say, hey, comadre, Larry, he was married to Arlene. And he said, Arlene doesn't want to go with him. But you know what? There's a, a communist from, where was he? Portugal. Mm-hmm. That's going to speak. And he's going to speak on this and this and this and this. You want to go with me? Go with me. I don't want to go alone. I'd say, oh, that sounds interesting. Okay, I'll go with you. There's a building where all these people will go and talk. I forget the name of it. But you just mentioned the name and everybody says, oh, there's a communist going to speak there. So I would tell Frank, Frank, you're going to stay with the kids. And my compa invited me. So I would go. And one day I came back from one of those late. It was just lectures. Yeah. There yeah. Was nothing else but lectures. And then I came back from the lecture. And and uh, Frank said, should you be going to all these things, Connie? You know, I'll be taking the bar, blah, blah. I said, oh, no, it has nothing to do with you. It's <laughs> of course, I'm a free person, you know, and on and on. So that's why I felt yeah, so guilty. Yeah, yeah, because these were, I mean, again, this was during the McCarthy era. During the McCarthy era. And that, I mean, I, you know, that was when communism was being, I mean, it was, Extremely negative. It was, yeah, not only communism, but any progressive yeah. ideas. Yeah, 
if you're involved in police brutality, right, right. if you're involved in fundraisers for this or that, it's it's cause for suspicion. Right. So anything on the left. Anything on the left. Anything on the left. And, and now everything was on the left. Yeah. yeah. If you were a union worker. You were on the left. If you were involved in the union. Yeah. Which I was. Then. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I remember that from um, the Lucille Ball documentary because she, mm-hmm. she had a lot of backlash because I think at some point she had checked a box for communism, like for mm-hmm. a political party. And mm-hmm. there was a huge backlash. I think yeah. it was around this same era. Yeah. There was just a huge. I mean, it's like the Hollywood 10, right? The Hollywood 10. The Hollywood 10. It was just. The, the I think you mentioned earlier the the House of Un-American or the committee what was the Un-American um, all the this, House of Un-American activities yes committee. and this all led by Joe McCarthy mm-hmm. the senator right yes yeah well that's really amazing so so Frank was able to get his license yes and Connie what what was your journey to law school my journey to law school I was very active in uh, I guess in, in the issues that, that yeah. affect society justice, the whole thing. And I was very active in the African-American civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Also in the Chicano, there wasn't much in the Chicano movement. And um, so I was active in that. And and then I invited Corrine to go with me to China before they opened the doors to China. This is Corrine Sanchez? Corrine Sanchez. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine, two friends of mine, a husband and wife, were active in the U.S.-China Friendship Association. Mm-hmm. They were allowed by our government to go to China and, and be there for a month and study and bring back pictures and bring back talks, and then people would talk so they could spread a friendship between the two countries. Mm-hmm. So I called up Frank Pestana, was the one in charge, and I said, is there some way that I can go to China and visit China, and he says the only way is through me. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll I want to bring my friend, and we want to, you know, go to China. <laughs> he says you have to get him to meetings. We had to read books. We had to study. We had to know what we were talking about when we went to China. And then a friend of mine, a Ruby, was a secretary to Ben Margolis. Yeah, and I said I signed up so I could see if I could go to China. And she says, oh, Connie, you won't be able to go for a long time. Ben has been on the list for three months. Oh, wow. Three months? Yeah, three months. And was it three years? I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, it was a long time. Yeah. And But what happened is they didn't have any Chicanas going mm, or Chicanos right. going to China yeah. or belonging to the U.S.-China Friendship Association, right. another communist thing, you know. Yeah. And... Um, what happened is that Frank said, you and Corinne are going to go on the next trip. We're going to go on within a month. <laughs> you but got ahead of Ben Yeah, we got uh, two months because we had, did have to study and, and read books. Well, yeah. we went to China for a month and, and a few days in Hong Kong. Yeah. One of the things uh, that I was very impressed with is the, the development of the women at that time. Now the situation has changed now with China. Right. Because I've been there four times. Have you? Yeah, I've been there four times and I've seen the changes. Mm -hmm. So the first time we went was after, right after the Cultural Revolution. Mm. It had just happened within a month or or so. They lost a lot of people in the Civil War. So they they had a man shortage. So the women were doing all this heavy work. So they passed a law 
they were forcing women to retire from the hard labor, farm labor that they were doing at 55. So what the women did is they became community activists, mm. helping the community, building this and building that, especially um, social and political awareness. Right. And uh, so we went from farm to farm, and we saw these wonderful women who were past 50s in their 60s or doing all these wonderful work. Yeah. So I wanted to come back and do work in my community. Yeah. Because I was getting older. Yeah. And uh, Corinne talked me into thinking of law school. Really? Yeah. She was the one that did it. Yeah. Did you Did you and Corinne go together to law school? We, she went to different law school. I went to oh. People's College of Law, yeah. which is unaccredited. Right. And she went to an accredited school. But. People's College of Law, I mean, known to be like a social, like social justice, all of those issues are super important at the People's College of Law, right? It is. And so that's, and that's where you, where you applied and you went to school. Yep. When, can I ask you, Connie, when was that? Yes, it was, I was 47 years old. Wow. So this must have been 77, because I went to China, we went to China in 76. So you started law school at 47 years old. Yes. And what was that like? So it was very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben, Ben, and John were—I don't know—they were founders of a PCL, mm -hmm. but they contributed right. a lot of money. Yeah. So they had a banquet, and Frank—they sent Frank to be a representative. So I went with Frank, and uh, they had a student for each table of of the non-students. Mm -hmm. So this student, her name is Lisa Corbin. May her memory be a blessing. Mm -hmm. She died. So she sat next to me, and I was a little interested in, in law school, but I was so old that I, I didn't, I, you know, I was thinking about it. So she told me to go, and she was going to get me some papers. And then I said, I'm so old. And she said, oh, we have a lot of older people mm. in, at school. I said, you do? Oh, yes, she said, we have a lot of older people. When I went to law school, there were no older people except the director <laughs> and me. Now these well. young people like, like Adva and... And, um, oh, well, that, that uh, it was Teresa, Teresa, Teresa Sanchez Teresa Gordon was there. Well, she started when, when I started. Yeah. And um, Isabel Rodriguez. Yes. And all my wonderful friends. And they were all so I mean, young. But it sounds like it was just the perfect, pla the perfect oh, place for you. Perfect place for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And, and by uh, this time, were your children older already? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Except that Lisa was in high school. Lisa was in high school. Yeah, she was still in high school. Is Poor Lisa. I mean, that's pretty admirable, Connie, that you went to law school. I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but at that age. No, at really. That age. I didn't want to. And I told Frank, oh, no, I don't want to because I'm 47. By the time I finish, I'm going to be this, yeah. 50s, and this, and 50s, and what have you. And I said, I'll, you know, I went down the parade of the horribles yes. with my age. And Frank was very quiet, and then he says, well, Connie, think of it this way. If it takes you five years to to go to law school and everything, and you don't go to law school, are you going to be any younger five years from, from, from then? Yeah. And I said, well, I guess I won't be. <laughs> no. <laughs> so maybe I should go. And, of course, Corrine was there pushing and pushing. Yeah. But what yeah. Corrine did, we had to take the LSAT exam. Yeah. And, and Corrine filled out all the forms for me. You know how you fill out little circles? Yeah. I didn't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. She, she filled them all out for me and everything. And then we went to some classes up. To take the LSAT. Right. And then we finally took the LSAT. And since I was 
a high school dropout. I had in the meantime gone to my GED. Mm-hmm. But the bar insisted that I take an exam from yeah. the bar. So it's an eight-hour Yeah. So I went to take the, or they wouldn't let me uh, go to PCL. Mm-hmm. So I went and, and took the exam. I took this exam. The last exam, they gave me a list of subjects. Yeah. And they said, write, pick a subject and write something on it. Right. And, and before you write, you have to write an outline. Mm-hmm. So I had taken this wonderful course on speech from this wonderful teacher at East LA College. Mm-hmm. And she had taught us how to write. Oh, she really? She had taught us about format, you know, do our everything. Yeah. Our outline and everything. So I said, okay. So I picked the subject on education. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very interested in education for our young Chicanos, mm-hmm. for our young blacks and browns. Yeah. So anyway, I picked education and I wrote a story about a woman that decided to get her education for traveling around the world mm. and learning from this culture and that culture, learning about philosophy. So, so I came back and I told Frank, this is a story I wrote. And then he says, oh, can you get a copy? That's a good story. I know, I was just going to tell you. Wait, yeah, I'd, I read forgot, the, I'd read that I book. I forgot about the story. But anyway, it did pass. Yeah. And probably the story helped me. Yeah, I'm sure. Helped me pass. Oh, that's so great. And so then you went to law school. Went to law school. You graduated. Graduated. Took the bar several times. Yeah. And uh, I passed. And what did you do when you first started practicing? I went to the office, of course, with Frank. I was the office manager. Oh, were All you? All those years, I, I was his office manager. Was this already now at the building? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. It was at the building. And um, John Martinez was a judge. Saw yep. me in. We had a party in the, in mm. the building. And um, my brother went. My brother's 11 years older than I am. And it was so funny because my brother was so happy for me. Yeah. And then he thanked Frank for me becoming an attorney. <laughs> and then I said, hey, what about me? And I did all the work. My brother said, you too. <laughs> so then you started. And so you, did you always practice a, a law out of, the, out of, out of that building? Practice, yeah. yeah. Out of, I, what happened is that I, I passed the bar and I started working for Frank. And, and then he got sick and got mm. cancer two years Later. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, he didn't have a chance to uh, train me and how to do a trial. Yeah. And there was a lot of things didn't have a chance I'm sorry. to do. I was sorry too. Yeah. But I remember once he was already in bed and, and I was I was his nurse, I guess. He was already in hospice in, in, in our home. And um, I was getting ready and, and he looked at me and he says, Boy, am I glad you passed the bar. Mm. So he wouldn't, you know, so I could yeah. have a, a yeah. job. Yeah. Because I, I was intending to become a, a lawyer and and perform a service for a service for our community. Mm-hmm. Do something for our community, especially in education. Right. Especially with the young kids. Right. In high school, grammar school, and the, and the whole thing. So I was going to do that, and Frank was going to, of course, make the money so we could live. And I was going to do all this wonderful work. Well, it never happened. Mm. I had to to go to work. Well, but you did. I mean, you have helped. I have. Yes. I have. Connie, let me ask you, because I know we're talking about you being a workers' compensation lawyer. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what workers' compensation, what, what does that mean? It's uh, workers that get injured on the job. Right. 
and uh, they have they're, they're entitled to certain rights for one thing medical attention mm-hmm. another thing compensation for for their disabilities right. that stay with them right after after um, the healing process takes right. place and uh, at that time they were also entitled to a rehabilitation school mm. to learn a new if necessary, right? Uh, yeah, if necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, it's because, you know, as you know, I'm an employment lawyer. Often I get calls about workers' compensation, right? Where people have injured themselves on the job and they want to know if I can represent them. And it's just like, it, it's just two entirely different systems. Mm-hmm. So you, the workers' compensation system is a system in and of itself, right? There are yes. courts, there are judges, um, and it's a whole it's a whole system. Right. And I what I do is separate from that because what I'm doing is in the civil courthouse where I, I'm suing people for discrimination or harassment. Mm-hmm. So the idea in workers' comp is if it's, they, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't even know. Um, the idea is like if you get injured on the job, right, the employer yes. is liable for that as long right. as you can show that you were injured on the job. Right. And there's no question as to liability. It's a question no. of the injury, right? And That's right. Right. Okay. Whereas over here where I'm at, I got to prove that right. I have to prove that discrimination and harassment happened and it, right. it's a different burden. Right. Yeah. And it's two different systems completely. Right. I often tell people, I don't know anything about workers' compensation, right. you know, because it's a whole, it's a whole system. It's a whole world. But you're, it's so crucial, right? Because it's the only place where people get, when workers get injured on the job, it's your only recourse, right? The only recourse. And undocumented workers thought that they couldn't get right. workers' compensation. Of course they can. Oh, and that has always been the case? That that has always been the case. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing they can do is they, they can get another job. Right. Because they're not supposed to be working. Working. Mm-hmm. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, technically. In California, there are a lot of protections for undocumented workers. Yeah. And undocumented workers are entitled, if not all, most of the same rights as, as um, yeah. documented workers. And, you know, the interesting thing I'm remembering, that I had two clients and, and separate separate injuries yeah and i needed an interpreter for them because they they didn't speak english mm-hmm. so we had a deposition and uh, they always ask where were you born and they tried to intimidate them at that time in yeah. those years they tried yeah. to intimidate, but they couldn't not with us right latino attorney and you know a lot of the the attorneys that were workers camp attorneys were from pcl Oh, were they? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, this particular two clients and the particular client. Where were you born? In California. He did speak English, <laughs> and you know he was one of the ones that was deported during. Uh, ah. Yeah. During our our depression years. Yeah. When thousands and and a lot of them were American. Born. Right, because they were born in, in the United States, the United States, and they had deported anyway because yeah. they were Mexican. Yeah, because yeah. the parents were being deported. Right. So right. the little children were deported too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so you, I'm sure you've had a chance to represent, or the, you've had the opportunity to represent so many workers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to touch base on two things, Connie, because I did also want to say that, I mean, your impact is, I'm sure you've had an impact in the community in terms of your work that you've done, but I also wanted to say that when I started my own office in 20. No, in 2008, I reached out to you because I wanted to see if you had office space available. And you so generously said, yes, come here. You can have your first three months for free and then you can be here. And it was just such a like, 
I mean, the soft building in East L.A. that I had driven by so, I mean, I grew up in East L.A., so I had driven by it so many years, and mm -hmm. it just was like, I just want to thank you for that. It was just such a big support and just to be in that building to be around you and to be right. around um back then i think antonio rodriguez was there mm -hmm. it was just it was, was it's just was just a wonderful wonderful way to start my own office you know yeah. yeah and thank you for that it's solidarity yeah exactly right i mean i just and i've been there ever since so mm -hmm. i'm a long-term tenant yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been what 15 years and i'm never gonna leave because it's really close to my house has it been 15 years oh i saw my own office in 2008 yeah, wow. I know. But wow. wait, is that? Am I doing the wrong math? No, that's fifteen, right? Yeah. Yeah. First, I started with Monica Guisar, if you mm -hmm. remember, and then yes. Monica left, and I started my own office just by myself in yes. two thousand eleven. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Connie, because I think the other impact—I mean, you've had a lot of impact on a lot of people—but one of the other, um, for me at least, is, is is you were one of the founders of the Latina Lawyers Bar Association, yes. which is pretty incredible, since Frank. Munoz was one of the founders of the Mexican American Bar Association, right? I know, yeah. I know. That's so, that's so incredible. So can you tell me a little bit about that, about the Latina Lawyers Bar Association? Yeah. At that time, Corinne Sanchez was the vice president of the... Of MABA. Of MABA. Yeah. And... Uh, we were going to have the the due elections and, you know, get a, a president and another vice president, I suppose. And there's a firm, a law firm of uh, Chicanos. They wanted to take over the their presidency. And what they did is paid the fees for them. Their membership fees. The membership fees so they could come in and vote. What upset a lot of us is that the call to come in and vote for a male president and keep Corrine out of it was, yeah, you, you have to come and vote so we can get these viejas out of here. Yeah. And that that really upset a lot of us. It upset me yeah. greatly. Yeah. And um, we had the, the meeting where everybody was going to, to vote, and we saw all these men that had not been active. Some of them paid their fees right then and there on that and that date, and I think that is, I told Corrine, I, I think we don't have the votes. And uh, that's what happened. And, and she didn't, right? She, she, she lost. Yeah, even though she was next in line. She was next in line. She was going to, you know, run for president. Yeah. She's so good. She's, she's such a good administrator. She's yeah. such a good, she's just wonderful. But anyway, then a little bunch of us got together and we said, okay, it's time yeah. to start the Latina Bar Association. And we deliberately said Latina yeah, because it was a contribution we we're going to give all of us, Puerto Ricans, yeah. Chicanas, yeah. and whatever. Yeah, you wanted what, to be inclusive, yeah. That's right, Yeah, we did, we did. And uh, we got a little, a little, what would you call it? I guess we got a little objection from some of the males mm -hmm. in, in MABA. Yeah, and they wanted to to be send a member of MABA to have voting oh, powers. The we laughed, we laughed so much. <laughs> and this and this was in the mid '90s, right? If I remember, was it in the mid '90s? I believe so, because I, I think so. Yeah, I, I went to so. my I went to the very first Latina Lawyers Bar Association like general membership meeting. Uh -huh. Like, remember Elsa Elsa Leva was the president, and she ran the yes. meeting, and I. 
believe that was in like, I had was already an attorney, but I had just graduated. So I believe mm-hmm. that was like in 98, 99. Yes, it was in Don't the 90s, me. you're right. Yeah. But can we name the nine founders? Can I, let me see. Let me, let me see if I can name them. Okay. You, Connie Pardo, Corinne Sanchez, Judge Teresa Sanchez Gordon, Elsa Leiva, Ivan Magdalena Flores, Alba Nidia Marrero, Isabel Rodriguez. Ay, Maria. Villar. Maria Villa. Oh my gosh, Maria Villa. Sorry, Maria Villa. Oh, Villa. And then Maria, and then one more. Maria Elena. Is it Flores? Velasquez. Velasquez, yes. Those were the nine. Yes. Those were the nine. And you all, you, you all just put the organization together. Put it together. And were you all on the, on the first board? Yes. Yeah, the, the nine of you made mm-hmm. up the first board? Yes. I mean, I can't tell you just, I mean, that impact is, you have to know that it's so wide. I, I, right. I mean, I had just graduated from law school, and I remember I never sit in the front row of anything because mm-hmm. I'm a back row kind of person. Uh-huh. So am I. But I was in the front row of that Latina Lawyers Bar Association wow. meeting because I was so just enthused to be in an organization of all of you with mm-hmm. all of you and i knew some of you i knew some of the work that some of you had done and i just can't tell you like what an impact that had on me and i know it to have i know it had an impact on so many other of my colleagues from that mm-hmm. era and to this day right like it has an impact i i joined the board a couple of years I later remember, yeah. yeah a couple of years later and i remember we met mm-hmm. at um at your building yeah it and yeah. then like the other my other claim to fame is i was also the first president of the Latina Lawyers Bar Association that wasn't a founder. Um, Yeah. So I just want to tell you that Uh the impact of that. I did realize that. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I I hold that dear to me because it just, the organization has always been like a place, especially back then, a place where I felt safe Mm -hmm. and I felt welcomed and I felt like there was just support, like really true support amongst all of us. Yeah. 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 And we were feminists. Yeah, I know. One way or another. Yeah, because you were all like politically active, politically aware, public defenders, just socially active people. That was also part of the attraction for me, too, because it wasn't just this sort of like networking opportunity Mm -hmm. or, you know, let's have some cocktails. It was important work. Yeah that all of you were trying to accomplish. Just amazing, just so grateful to all of you for all of that work. Mm-hmm. Not so grateful about how it all happened, you know, and you know, what it took yeah. to take that jump, but I guess everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why these men were like that. And these are the same men that when, when Teresa ran for office, I don't know if Teresa told you this, maybe I shouldn't. Oh, I'll say she it. She did. What the heck? Yeah, they didn't support her. She talked about it. The men did not support her. I know what firm you're talking about. Yeah. I worked at that firm. I I remember. So I don't really work that many places, so I don't know that it's, you know, it's going to be pretty obvious who it was if you know anything about me. But I also remember when I worked there, Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of a like, should I be working here, you know, because it just felt like a little bit like a betrayal, you know, but I did. I needed a job, Connie. Don't, yeah. don't judge me. I, I don't consider it a betrayal. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were doing important work too, mm -hmm. you know. I, they I, were. I mean, yeah. no, you can't take that away from no, them. No, I mean, when I worked there, I worked on the Rampart cases and I represented, you know, people who had been wronged by all those mm -hmm. LAPD officers yeah. at Rampart. And then I ended up working on other cases that to this day have mm -hmm. been very important to mm -hmm. me. So, yeah, they were doing good work, but it was even when I got there, it was like, oh, good Lord, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> what century is this? Yeah. But anyway, so. Latina Lawyers Bar Association, super important, super amazing for all of you to have done that. And it was to us, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy, though, that it took until the mid-90s, right? Yeah. And all because of what happened. I know. Just like MABA started because right. of this. Because it's sort of like exclusion, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, from, I guess, I don't know sayings that well, but from, I don't know, I can't even think of a saying, but like from something that was not a good experience, something great happened. Yeah. yeah. Thank you to all of you. I hope that you continue and always get the recognition that all of you deserve. Yeah. yeah. And all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Including the non-members of the founders. Yeah, because there, yeah, there were... Including the founding members. Right. There were founders, yeah. and then there were the founding members. Members, and they, yeah. they, they made it. They yeah. made it for us. I'm not going to remember the founding members. <laughs> My memory is not that good. <gasps> yeah, mine neither. <laughs> All right, Connie. Well, I'm going to now move on to food. Food. Oh, food, boy. Food, because we've come to that point in the podcast where I have to ask you about food and tacos. Uh-huh. Tacos. What are your favorite tacos, Connie? And where do you get them? Or where do you make them? Or what are they? Okay. When I was pregnant my daughter Sandy. Frank would buy me these tacos from a little stand that you just went to the little stand and yeah. bought your tacos and, and left. That was on Brooklyn Avenue. Ooh, back in the day when it was Brooklyn. Ever Evergreen in Brooklyn? I think Evergreen. Or maybe just on Evergreen. Oh, they made the best tacos. Yeah. Ever, ever, all full of juicy grease. I mean, it was so <laughs> good and full of cheese, a lot of cheese on them. Were these crunchy tacos? These were fried tacos? Fried tacos, yeah, yeah fried mm, tacos. Yeah. They, they, were, they were excellent. They were. But later on, my favorite tacos were the ones that I made out of my, my leftover roast. Oh, really? Yeah. Leftover rolls that I had, I would shred it up and, and fry it with some onion, a mm -hmm. little bit of tomato sauce just to make it sticky. Mm -hmm. And then I would fill the tacos. I yeah. would fry the tacos, of yeah. course. Yeah. And they would have lettuce. And, and I know you don't like tomato. Tomato and a bunch of um, cheese. cheese. What kind of cheese? Not jack cheese. Cheddar? Cheddar cheese. Cheddar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cheddar cheese. God, I love a good cheddar. I do, too. On a good taco. I do, too. <laughs> So those are my tacos. Yeah, those are. And, and have you have you always cooked? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have always cooked. Yeah. I don't cook anymore because Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa doesn't cooking. I know, and I can hear her because Lisa's making dinner for us I right know. now. <laughs> I can um, smell it. I know. Have you always lived in this area? Because I know you. Have you always? I know you grew up. You lived a lot in East LA, right? Lived a lot in East LA and Monterey Park had what do you call covenant in the real estate they didn't sell or rent to, to blacks or mexicans oh gosh really or chinese either yeah. and it's awful of uh, of mexicans and chinese i know but anyway uh they didn't so part of my part of my activity 
was marching and and uh, demonstrating mm. against this system yeah of i forget what you call it but anyway it we worked a lot here in, uh, in monterey, monterey park, park to change that to change that yeah i never expected to move into monterey park but we we did work real hard and uh, we worked real hard and there was a black family a doctor named D, yeah, that wanted to to buy a house, and they were giving him a hard time. So we demonstrated, 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 and we made a big fuss. And they eventually sold the house mm-hmm. to, to the, to the to this black family. Mm-hmm. The, the black family. Years went by, and then I was I I don't think Teresa will my. Uh, years went by, and Teresa was here studying mm-hmm. for the bar. We yeah. were studying together. Yeah, and. Uh, she, she was telling me that her husband's grandfather was a doctor. They lived here in, in Monterey Park. No. Yeah. It was the same doctor? It must have been. Oh, my gosh. What other doctor? Oh, wow. So I said, I said, Teresa, I demonstrated for, for yeah. him. and what, It could have only been him. Yeah. Karen, yeah. let me ask you, because, I mean, you have had this life of, like, demonstrating and protesting and just trying to achieve justice, right, and equality. Where do you think that all comes from? You know, Maria Elena once asked me that when we were in Cuba. Because you went to Cuba, like, in the 70s, right? Yes. We went there for the 20th anniversary of the revolution. Of the revolution. Yeah. So that would have been... 69 was... No, No. 59 was the revolution, I believe. 69, 79. 79. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So you went to Cuba in 79? Yeah. Wow. One of the first time. And anyway, Maria Elena, about, you know, my background. And, and I didn't know how to answer, but an image came to my mind. And that was my mother and me walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And I was a little girl, maybe I was four years old. And I had some money that my mother had given me so I could buy this big ice cream dish. And because I never had that big ice cream, my favorite, maybe it was a a banana split. And because we were too poor to be buying that. Yeah. But this time she gave me the money and everything. And then we're walking down the street and she said, Mira, mijita, there was a man that was sitting with some pencils in front of him. And his back was leaning against a wall. And um, he didn't have a leg. Mm -hmm. It was amputated. So I said... What's wrong with him? And she said he was in the war. World War One. World War One. And he apparently had a little pin in his lapel that said he was a veteran. And he says this is his job. He sells pencils so he mm. can pay for his renta and mm. food. Yeah. And she says, uh, do you still want your ice cream or do you want to help that man? Uh, oh, I want to help that mm-hmm. man. She says, okay, you, you go give him your money. And, and take a pencil. Yeah. I said, okay. So I want to give, this made a big impression on me. I want to give him his money. And, and he wouldn't take it. He kept shoving his chest towards me. And then my mother came up to me and she said, put, he had a little bag on, on his neck, mm. little bag. And she said, put the money in the bag. And then I noticed he didn't have arms. Yeah. Both his arms were amputated to the elbow. Jeez. And he wasn't a Mexicano. Yeah. And I uh, spoke English to me. So I put the money, and then she says, I take the pencil. I took a pencil, and he told me something, and smiling all the time. Yeah. And then uh, my mother said, Dale las gracias. So I said, Gracias. And he said something, smiling. And then my mother said, No, dile en inglés, dile thank you. Mm. So I said, Thank you. And I, the image 
never mm. left me for never, never, never. I was traumatized. Yeah. But that's when I started, I think I started just yeah. becoming aware of yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And also wanting to help. Yeah. I wanted to help. My mother was always helping. So I wanted to be like my mother. Yeah. The next image I remember is when we went to Lincoln Park. She took me to Lincoln Park with a little comidita. We're going to have a picnic. And, and there was a celebration, big celebration in, in Lincoln Park. There was music and food and what have you. And there was a lot of African Americans. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen African Americans. Not to, to that extent. It was, the park was full of a lot of music and what have you. And I asked my mother about that. I must have been maybe five. It was before I went to school, maybe six, maybe five or six. And uh, she says, uh, they're here to celebrate the birthday of, of Abraham Lincoln. Of course, she said Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln was the president of the United States, and he freed the slaves. Mm-hmm. He was just like Benito Juarez. Mm-hmm. Benito Juarez was our president. Mm-hmm. And she said, and Benito Juarez and Lincoln, Lincoln were very good friends. I found out later that they didn't know each other. They just corresponded. But I, your mom told I you that. My mother, my mother told me that <laughs> they were know? friends. Can I, Cardi, if, if you don't mind, can I ask you what year you were born? 1930. So this would have been in 1935, 1936. Yes, yes. And Hitler and I was aware of when Hitler came into power. Gosh. Not until 37, I was aware of him. Of course, he came into power in 33 when FDR. And FDR was my president forever. Gosh, how old was I when he died? Fifteen, and uh, yeah. and and we were we were very much aware of things happening. The little kids. We had a German family. Well, the mother was German, but the stepfather was a Mexicano, and they lived in our vecindad, mm-hmm. as we used to call it. And I was playing with a with a little boy, and he was about a year older than me. And he she he said. My mother hates Hitler. And I said, but you're supposed to like your president. And then he says, no, we don't, we don't like Hitler. We hate him. Yeah. And then I said, we like our president. Don't you like our president? He says, yes, we like President Roosevelt, but we hate Hitler. Yeah. And that's what I remember. Yeah. But that's, it's, it's remarkable that you remember that it's particular conversation. Yeah. Certain little things stick to yeah. a child. Yeah. That's why it's so important to be careful. What you tell a child. Yeah, and how you are and who you are. That's what it was so important when racism used to strike our kids in school. Yeah. So, Connie, my mom, my mom was also born in 1930. And sometimes when I think about that, you know, when I think about the lifespan, like, yeah. you've lived through so much, Connie. Yeah. And you, my mom has never really been, like, socially act, like, like politically active. But you've lived through so much and have been really in the thick of it. Oh, um, yeah. For many, many, many on many occasions, or through a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of it. 2023. Yep. I want to ask you, like, what do you think about the world? Like, what do you? How do? How do you see it? Like, do you even have? Like, do you have hope? You know, it's it's hard. You you go up and down. You yeah. have hope. You know, I get hope when I see what the young people are doing, mm-hmm. and when I hear. Okay, Lisa and I read to each other. Lisa reads out loud, and I follow in my Kindle. Mm-hmm. I, I can't see very well anymore. Yeah. Follow in my Kindle, and then we read, and then we discuss. We read sixteen, the sixteen nineteen project. Yes. Now, if anybody, can, if anything can get you excited 
about life, not only because the book sort of gives you hope, yeah, but the people that are involved, yeah. people that know, people that keep themselves informed, that gives me gives me hope. When I see, especially when I see the young, the young people. What are the these young people that went up in arms when the the two black councilmen? Or the, the 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 senators. This is in Tennessee when they're yep. ousted uh-huh. for having yeah, protested in favor or have protested in favor of gun reform. Yeah, I well, know. they protested with they joined the young people yeah. who were yeah. demonstrating yeah. for gun reform. Yep, and then and they got voted out. Yeah, and then the young people just came yeah. out all kinds of white black. And then we were looking, Lisa and I were in the TV, watching TV, and we were looking for some Chicanos. And she says, look, the mariachis are out there. The Chicanos are being yeah. represented. You know, th- these kind of things raise my, my hope. I'm currently reading a book, I'm listening to it's called The Devil in the Grove. And it's about Thurgood Marshall and a lot of his, oh. a lot of his battles in... I mean, this must have been like in the 30s and the 40s, a lot of the legal cases that he took on Mm -hmm. in the South when there were so many black men mostly getting charged and convicted of crimes they hadn't committed. Yes. And it's it's just so, I mean, I don't know that I feel hope when I read all that, all those books, but I I do agree with you that it's super important to read about history and to read about Mm -hmm. how we got to where we are now, you know, and, and how... You know, the, the whole controversy about critical race theory and like banning books and they're not you can teach about race or history and courses is just so remarkable Isn't to that me. Terrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Like, how do you I don't understand how you like want to exclude history and, yeah. you know, what has happened. Like, how do you learn about yeah. the past if you I know how do you learn about the future if you don't read about the past yeah you know when all this controversy started with all these these right wiggers and 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 white supremacists i told lisa you know they're still fighting the civil war when i marched in alabama and we went clear up to to where the capital was the capital on top of the capital the confederate flag was flying yeah and and some of the people that I told this to couldn't believe it. No, no, you're just saying that to make a point. I said, no, I saw it. Yeah. And of course, it's true. They took pictures. There was pictures. And you were pro- what were you doing in Alabama? Oh, I was marching with Martin Luther King. You know, from from Selma to Montgomery. You say that. You say that like it's like no big deal. You you marched with Martin Luther King. I marched with Martin Luther King. I never met him, but I saw him. Oh, far away when he's God, you have you have led an amazing life it's part of contributing yeah to your society part of of wanting a change a yeah. positive good change yeah for for people yeah for the people for everyone yeah Connie, well, I just want to thank you again for for agreeing to be on the podcast because this has been really great I think it's important to hear your voice and to hear your story You've done so much and lived so well. And so thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me here. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast and you're thinking, hey, I think I need to speak to a lawyer, you should get in touch with me. You can do that by going to scmlawoffices.com and sending me a message there. If you're not ready to do that, definitely say hi anyway. You can connect with me on Twitter at SEM underscore in underscore ELA. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.